The Start On Demand. On demand. Today, we heard from a young Manitoban offering a warning. He says, quote, These variants are serious. If you believe being young and healthy got you covered, it doesn't. And this 22-year-old knows this because he had one. Also today, we'll talk a lot about employment and specifically where people are working, from home or at the office. Because Greg, for example, is back in the home office. We'll speak to Downtown Winnipeg Biz about downtown employment pre-pandemic and now. And then we'll have a conversation about hybrid working. As we work to get more people vaccinated, how many will actually return to the workplace? And Grand Beach Club is back. Which clothing brand or trend would you like to see return or not return? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Monday, April 12th podcast for The Start. On a wet Monday morning, snow rain mix, we say hello to Loren McNabb, who has been working at home since March 2020. Hello there, Loren. Yeah, we are well over a year now. Good morning, Brett. And we say hello to the now returned home, Greg Mackling. <sighs> yes, back at home. Not that I don't love my home, but I uh, have to confess to uh, missing you already, Brett McGarry. Yeah, it was weird uh, not having anybody here other than Mr. Fortier. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Uh, it, uh, try not to be deflated about this. It's our job to, to come in here and spruce people's lives up. So I just got to put that behind me. Just wanted to grumble about that for a second. <laughs> You're lucky I'm even here this morning. Do you know I had all my alarms set to PM for today? Oh, wow. Oh, no. And I just woke up uh, and I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, I guess I should get up now. It says three. And then I was like, nah, I usually like, you know, I snooze for a bit, but then I looked at the alarm and I was like, there'll be no snoozing. The alarm is not going to go off. And then that had me like all sweaty just with the possibility of that wake up that would have come a few hours too late. So good morning. I'm here. Yay. I woke up last night on my couch at 11 o'clock thinking, oh, oh it's, uh, ah, it's 11 o'clock. I, can, I got lots of time to sleep because I thought I saw Saturday on my phone. Oh, <laughs> and no. then I'm like, no, it's not Saturday night. It's Sunday night. Oh, my God. Yeah. But at least I got three hours of sleep before then. And then I got another three hours of sleep. So, Oh, solid six. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. <laughs> is it? That's so wrong. Every time someone tells you that sleep is so key to your health, Greg, aren't you like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm working on a solid six. You're- you feel like you're in a little bit of a wilderness when it comes to that sort of thing. And you just sit back and listen to the conversation. There's no sense in even getting involved at that point. It just sounds like whining to a lot of people when you start bringing up your schedule. So I just don't bother anymore. I just stay out. And here, hey, here's another thing I can whine about. Uh, you guys being at home, maybe not, not so bad because at least you can control the climate in your room. I don't know what's going on in our rooms, but Fortier's control room is like an icebox. And the, my, the studio I'm in right now is so hot and stuffy and i can't seem to do anything about it so uh it might be get pretty funky in here come 10 a.m so that's why you're alone that's why greg got sent home no i'm (laughs) kidding it was like it was like a full complaint of stick the stink was too much it's a biohazard down to the putting the biohazard in cjob so (laughs) there we go you guys seen any snow in your parts? Yeah, it's uh, it's like it's snowing pretty thick, but it's it's like a wet snow, so it's pr- predominantly melting as soon as it hits the concrete. There's a layer of it on the grass. What about you, GMAC? 
uh, when I looked out the door and I guess it was about 445, it was just wet. Concrete was wet. The grass was wet. No uh, white stuff. And I hate that terminology, but I just used it uh, on the ground. So uh, I'll have to take another peek up when we get a break at 625 here for sports. And one of the things we'll be talking about, Greg has moved back home from working downtown and we'll be talking today at uh, 737, Loren, about working downtown pre-pandemic and now. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this throughout the year of this pandemic and people who've left the downtown to work from home, people who then return maybe downtown like you, Greg, and then back home again and what this third wave might bring. But also just more the permanent idea of of where this will take us all, like how many people might just choose to stay home if they can. And I get that's not everybody. I get that's a lot of people that have to go to work every day and we salute you and thank you. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home right now. What sort of permanent move might people be making when it comes to maybe never coming back downtown? Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean for the downtown? It's such a crucial part of our city. So much great work has been done down there in the past few years, Greg. And so they've got some new numbers out this morning on how many people have returned to work. But also, are people just going downtown at the very least for the restaurants or shops that are open? Well, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the show, used to work at CJOB. I'll leave her name out of it. Uh, texted me the other day. We were having a similar discussion. I think it was last week, just with regard to whether or not people are liking working from home and and whether they're going to stay there. She said point blank, they will have to drag me out of my apartment, <laughs> kicking and screaming with my computer in order to get me back at work. Ever in capital letters. Wow. And, So for a lot of people, this has really opened their eyes to the possibilities and the benefits of working from home. One of my neighbors uh, works in the banking industry, and I see her every day out for a walk. And we had a chat the other day. It was just a gorgeous day. And she says the fact that she can just sort of turn off her phone and her computer for 45 minutes every single day, whether it's winter, summer, or spring, and just go out for a walk with her dog has done wonders for her mental health and her attitude and her and her performance at work so i I think there are going to be a lot of people in that same boat and then at 905 we're going to talk about hybrid working as we get to as we work to get more people vaccinated how many people loren are actually going to return to their workplace yeah, like Greg said, you might make the choice. If you have that choice, maybe you'll say, no, thanks. I'm going to stick here at home forever if you'll let me. Or you might be saying, please bring me back. I can't stand another day in the basement uh, staring at my feet in these Batman pajamas. That's how I feel some days. Some days I think if I have to do one more multi-factor authentication <laughs> via my laptop from home while I watch it slowly spin and I try to get comfortable in this chair that was never meant to be an office chair, you think, yep, get me out of here. But, you know, I get... There's so much that's going to change in the months ahead, and we can only uh, hope that it's all for the better. So let us know if you are someone who is working from home and want to stay there, or if you're feeling how Greg is feeling this morning and wishing he could be at work. Grateful that you have the opportunity and choice, I know, Greg, but I know you'd rather be back in the at 201 Portage. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, grateful is uh, factual. Uh, well said, Loren, but uh, I, I miss my buddy. I miss my radio brother. <laughs> I miss it too, man. Hopefully this will be a short-lived thing as we try to get through this third wave. The song is called It's No Good, and looking out at the weather, I'd say it's no good. 
Global's Kayla Evans joins us now, weather specialist, Global News Morning and for 680 CJOB. Hi, Kayla. Morning, guys. So what can we expect over the next 24 hours? Well, much like the last kind of spring snowstorm that we had a little while ago, it seems like here in Winnipeg, we're actually going to miss the worst of it. So uh, the bulk of this still kind of in that western Parklands area into east central Manitoba. Uh, Those folks there really anywhere 15 to 25 centimeters. Some communities could see as high as 30 centimeters by the time we hit late tomorrow. Uh, Here in Winnipeg, I just checked the refresh models. It looks like anywhere from 5 to 10 centimeters here in Winnipeg today. And then tonight, an additional five centimeters. And then as we get through tomorrow, again, that storm kind of losing its steam. But we could see an additional two to four centimeters through tomorrow afternoon here in the city. You won't be hear me bemoaning any of this precipitation at all, Kayla. We need the dampness. We need the wet for uh, the farmers at the very, very least. And you mentioned out west, we got a text message. If the snow isn't going to be necessarily an issue for us here in the city, got a text message from Derek. He's out West. He says highway 16 up to highway one rain, snow mix highways wet for now. And he mentioned windy. It's not quite uh, windy in the city yet, but it's obviously coming our way. How big of a factor is the wind going to be today? Uh, the wind, it seems like, is already kind of, I, I don't want to scare anybody, but I came in on 59 this morning, uh, and everybody was going really slow. Uh, here in the city and just kind of in our area, around 50, even 60 kilometers an hour, so just enough that as soon as you get that snow coming down and it is a little dark, uh, the morning commute, I think people should probably be slowing down, maybe giving themselves a little extra time, leaving a little earlier, because um, it's just enough to kind of impact visibility just a bit. Nothing terrible, nothing too too scary, uh, but just something that folks should certainly keep in mind. Just a few seconds left here, Kayla. The temperatures are all hovering below zero as we dip into the evening this week. When will we see that return to like normal springtime stuff? Oh my gosh, it doesn't seem until the end of this next weekend, believe it or not. So, so uh, around 9, 10 degrees it would be our average high for this time of year. Um, and then our average low would be around minus three. So we're not too, too bad, but uh, certainly well below average. So I guess kind of like the end of Friday getting into Saturday and then Sunday, that's when we're kind of going to see a return to more average or normal temperatures. Global weather specialist Kayla Evans, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. And just looking at, uh, I see there's a snowfall warning, as she mentioned, Winnipeg, just outside of this region. Uh, mm-hmm. Snowfall warning for places like Selkirk, Gimli, Stonewall, Woodlands, Dougald, Bissette, Whiteshell, Dauphin, Minnedosa is in there, Loren and Greg, Minnedosa. Uh, looking at the warning map on Environment Canada, it's a swath that cuts across uh, all of cent- south-central Manitoba, or part of, all of, sort of all along the middle of Manitoba, mm-hmm. pardon me, just above north of uh, Winnipeg, Greg. Well, if anyone well, can safely l- send us pictures, I'd love to see it because I was watching that stuff out of Saskatchewan yesterday, Greg, and thought, uh-oh, that doesn't look too fun. But uh, I know, as you said, we need, the, we need the wet. We need the wet, and I'm not going to complain at all just as long as everyone can s- stay safe out there. And it would appear as though Winnipeg Storm Shield is in full effect one more time. It is absolutely incredible how these storms <laughs> seem to miss our city. Storm shield. Storm shield it. activate. On Friday, we got an email from Engineer Mike. A forward from Warehouse One. And it says Grand Beach Club is now live. Greg, did you ever have a Grand Beach Club shirt? I confess to not 
ever having one. I'm sorry. Does that make me non-Manitoba? No, it doesn't make you non-Manitoba. Okay. Loren? I just, I just wanted to make oh, sure. Oh, yeah. It was blue. Sister had a pink one. I think the brother had maybe a purple. There was a green. and The whole family had them. Yeah, Grand I'm Beach Club. I'm trying to find a photo because I'm sure it also includes me with, with braces and a serious <laughs> bang situation. So I'll let you know if I get that. Oh, I've got my, my grade seven school picture was me wearing my, I also had a blue Grand Beach Club sweater. Uh, so yeah, their Grand Beach Club is back at Warehouse One. Tie-dye is back in a big way. So we want to have a chat about the clothing trends that we would like to see come back or perhaps stay far, far away. So let's go around the horn here. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier. Mr. Poitras. Start us off. Well, there's really only one uh, thing I could possibly say. 1970s suits. They have to make a comeback. The massive collar, the flared collar, the popped collar, the leisure suits, <laughs> the electric suits, as some people call the disco suits. Like one of my all-time dreams is walking out in a 1970s disco with a disco suit. We're talking like plaid to the nines, brown, yellow, red walking out there and just uh, and just jamming with a very very tight afro so yeah absolutely <laughs> 1970s uh, leisure suits i'm i'm waiting for the day they're coming back i was watching the uh, the omen this weekend with a uh, gregory peck and uh, i was like man we need to go back to that time see i'm i'm, I'm with cam on the suits i wouldn't say 1970 i was thinking more like 1950s <laughs> okay the like 50s. With, like the st- like everyone walking around in a stetson those hats and the, stuff the hats and everything but, you know, at least, you know, I, I like suits. I think suits look good. Well, you can, nothing stopping you from wearing a suit. Money. I can't, <laughs> come on, Forte. You're always talking about how much money you squirrel away. You got cash to buy yourself a suit. Yeah, that cash is safe for something else. <laughs> Plus, right. I don't feel like getting all dressed up at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. Fair point. Jeff Braun, what about you? I'll say nay to the suits, but I'll say yay to the 70s because that's what I was going to say. Anything from the 70s always looks cool and comfortable. It used to be that thing where, like, when you were a kid and you saw, like, an old picture of your dad, you thought, oh, he looked like such a geek back then or something like that. And now I look at those pictures and, like, man, he looks cool and really comfortable. And uh, that's just the way to go. Like, I look at old pictures of, like, dads in the 70s and I was like, I want that for myself. Interesting. Greg Mackling. Uh, how about bell bottoms, flared collars, oversized collars, and yes, I like the idea, Cameron Poitras, of a tight afro. Mm-hmm. I used to every once in a while go for the perm look. Yep, and uh, <laughs> I'm actually thinking back to the night my mom sat. I think it was in grade three, and she pin curled my hair and. It must have taken two hours. And you know what I did the next morning? I washed it out because I was too scared to go to school in it. Oh, no. But I, I think I would like to bring back uh, bring back the, the fro flow for sure. Oh, and you got to match it with like just a fantastic handlebar mustache. <laughs> I don't know about the handlebar, but <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, maybe the to. Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu. It doesn't sure. matter. There needs to be some sort of facial hair, uh, you know, maybe even a curled mustache look. Um, yeah, any of that works. I mean, just go crazy. Loren, what do you think of all this? Well, when it comes to hair, I think we should rock the side ponytail again. And I was telling you guys last week that for no reason I ordered banana clips. Yeah. I don't know if anyone remembers <laughs> those. And I have them sitting upstairs, but they're just so cheap. They don't even hold all my hair. But I'd like to see that. We could come back from hair. 
And then you know what? I've always wanted and just never bought because it seems so impractical in Manitoba, like a good set of driving gloves, you know, where you put on like leather long gloves. You're like, must go for a drive now. You Suddenly you have a British accent for no reason. <laughs> so that's kind of like, I, I kind of think that's such a cool trend. Like if it's particularly if you're getting in a really rough car, like none of ours are clean or fancy or even new. They've never been new. So just hop into my Chevy, but put on my like expensive riding gloves, driving gloves. I think that'd be fun. Hey, we got a listener here who texting us a picture of their Grand Beach Club shirt that they still yes. have from the uh, late 80s into the, the 1990s. Good job. And it's the color. It's uh, the black and white. I always wanted a black and white chip and pepper shirt. I ended up with the Grand Beach Club, which was okay, but I really liked that chip and pepper logo. Mm, chip and pepper was sweet stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. They had their own store, I think. Was it on Main Street? can't remember where it was. I don't remember a store in Winnipeg. I know they had one in Kenora, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. Maybe it was at Falcon Lake. But yeah, chip and pepper stuff was so sweet. Or maybe it wasn't their own store, but maybe it was a place that just sold a lot of chip and pepper stuff. I can't remember. Um, Isn't that the male strippers? (laughs) (laughs) Chip and Dales? The Chip and Dales? I thought those were the squirrels from Disney. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> they're chipmunks what is happening the chip and dale are the chipmunks from disney and then the chip and dales were the strippers like patrick swayze and chris farley doing their audition to working for the weekend i just feel like the disney company would have something to say about that <laughs> they were rescue they're rangers extremely litigious how they did were, they get away with that they were rescue rangers dang it i'm surprised they got away with that actually good point jeff it was probably just the way that the spelling, they they escaped it with the spelling by making it all one word, right? Maybe there was a way, they, they, maybe that was their way around it. Um, Don is saying, I'm praying the pants worn halfway down your butt never comes back. Oh. I still see guys doing that. I just, I don't I get do that. I don't get that. They can't be comfortable. Air conditioning. <laughs> it's air conditioning. Well, you don't need that when it's like minus 30 outside in the winter. That's true. Do you ever think that that trend was started by the companies that sell the $57 boxer briefs so that, you know, uh, it's fashionable to show off your drawers and we happen to sell very expensive drawers. Get them here. That's a great or somebody point. that had a grudge against the belt industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. very, there it is. It was a revenge, revenge wardrobe. 204-780-6868. We need you to send us a story about clothes you would like to see come back or clothes you want to never see come back. Many of the experts we've interviewed over the past year about COVID are not mincing words when it comes to what we're seeing, Greg, in this third wave. Yeah, this was the tweet from local virologist Jason Kinderchuk after Ontario reported a record day of cases yesterday. Quote, provinces outside of Ontario need to wise up about this fast strategies need to be adapted now to reduce the toll from the variants of concern wave were Well beyond debating if it's going to be bad, it's bad. He goes on to say, if you claim you can increase vaccinations in your communities in all capital letters, he says, get it done. Yeah, we also heard from Winnipeg epidemiologist Cynthia Carr after a BC ski resort reported a variant of concern outbreak. She reached out to media to share how this serves as a reminder that 
quote, yes, outdoors is safer but not safe, that VOC's mutation allows for much better transmissibility inside and out. Cynthia Carr recommends keeping your masks on. Circle small, distance wider, Greg. Yeah, and then there was this tweet from Dr. Gigi uh, Osler. Hashtag Manitoba. I have growing sense of dread. Remember the winter we had? That tweet then went on to share some data that sparked that feeling of dread. Dr. Osler is an ear, nose, and throat specialist and former president of the Canadian Medical Association. Good morning, Dr. Osler. Good morning. Well, you know, uh, that tweet really set off some alarm bells for me and the data, the data that you shared along with it. What were the numbers you were pointing to that caused that reaction? So the numbers were the r naught value or the reproductive value. And in Manitoba, as of yesterday, according to a biostatistician, and I've seen similar data from other epidemiologists, currently we have an R0 value of 1.3, which means for every one person infected with COVID, they could go on to infect 1.3 people. And so you see the higher that number is, the more we can grow this outbreak and this pandemic. And so it is a sign that we are definitely in that third wave. And I also showed some data from back in early October 2020, and that's what had the alarm bells ringing for me. I was feeling that same sense of dread back in October as we were seeing those, all of those indicators start to go up. And my concern is that we are headed on the same path as Ontario and the same path we were on last fall. And I don't think anyone wants to go back to the restrictions we had last winter and, and I feel like we're in this race against COVID-19, but the variants have changed the rules. The variants are more transmissible and more deadly, yet I feel like in Manitoba, we are using the same playbook. What are you hearing from doctors working in our hospitals? Same concerns. You know, I, I, and from all of my healthcare colleagues working in the hospital, working on the front lines, the difference between the fall and now, healthcare workers are exhausted. Barely out of the second wave, we still have people in the ICUs related to COVID-19. And I checked Manitoba's data, and I think we've got 31 people still in ICU for COVID-related conditions. So you can't even really say we've cleared our ICUs of COVID patients. So I, I would like everyone to understand that, you know, this is a race, but in Manitoba, we need to step up our vaccine game. You mentioned there that the nurses and, and, and the hospital staff and the frustration and the exhaustion, right? They've just, they haven't even cleared really the second wave mm-hmm. and getting through that. And now we're on the cusp of this third one, as we heard from our team last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Osler, you also talked about changing the playbook. So what do you mean by that? What needs to change and how we're dealing with this uh, beyond ramping up our vaccinations? Or is, is that the key? You know, I think two things continue to follow public health advice. We still need to listen to the fundamentals and follow them, but it is vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. If you look at countries that are leading the world in immunizing their citizens, they use multiple sites and existing infrastructure. 
and not relying on just one or two super sites. So we need to take advantage of that distributed model that the province has talked about. We need more vaccines in those medical clinics and in those pharmacies. And while we're at it, why don't we have any drive-through vaccine clinics? We have to start thinking differently. And I'd love to see more of a sense of urgency in this vaccine rollout. I agree with you on the drive-through locations. Saskatchewan has well over 250 locations where you can get a vaccine. Manitoba has five or six. Obviously, there's a gigantic disparity there. And then if we look to the east and all the shutdowns, Dr. Osler, in Ontario, and they're in this midst of this four-week lockdown, and I, I know it's not a complete lockdown, but is that where we're headed in Manitoba? Well, I think we still have time to change the course. Only about 10, according to what I read this morning, only about 10% of our COVID cases in Manitoba are due to the variant. And it's the variants that are driving this third wave. So yes, we need to continue to follow public health advice because what we're seeing with the variants across Canada is that it's a younger age group that's at risk most at risk for infection. It's this younger age group that are winding up in hospital infected with a variant. So in Canada, hospitalizations among people aged 40 to 59 are the ones leading this third wave. And if you look at who's eligible in Manitoba, it's not that age group. So yes, we need to continue to immunize our most at-risk populations but step up the game, get more shots in arms so that we can then start to look at who's at most risk right now with the variants. Dr. Gigi Osler, ear, nose and throat specialist and former president of the Canadian Medical Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Doctor, thank you for the time. Thanks for having me on. Now, as far as uh, working downtown goes, I have... Uh, been enjoying it since we moved here to 201 Portage back in August. And for me personally, the preference would be to come in to work. If I was told, like you, Greg, that you had to go back home, um, I would be, <laughs> I'd lose my, quite frankly, I would lose my mind. The, the outside of the people I see at work, I don't see a lot of people. So having to do the show from home for me would be awful. Of course, I'm happy and thankful to be employed. But if I had, since that's the case and I got get to pick, I would pick coming into work every time. Well, I am one amongst uh, hundreds of chorus employees across the country who have been asked to either return home or to begin working from home. As you look at numbers in Ontario and Alberta and British Columbia with regard to the variant uh, chorus, and, and this is not a snow job or sucking up to the boss. They've done an incredible job, Loren, of keeping us safe from day one. And so I'm grateful for that aspect. But if I could be at work and I could be in the building, that would absolutely be my preference. And I think I'm not alone in that. However, there are a growing number of people who are maybe becoming addicted to working from home. Well, there, there are many employees who return to work in the fall who were then sent home again before Christmas. Some might be making that move like you now, Greg, or perhaps there's just a bit of both going on. People making the choice to do a bit at home, a bit at work if they can. And we know this isn't a choice for everyone. But right now, there are clearly far fewer people downtown than normal, and it could stay that way for a while. 
There's been a new poll done by Probe Research that was commissioned by the Downtown Biz and shared exclusively with us this morning, and it shows more than one-third of former downtown workers continue to work from home full-time, with one-quarter splitting their time between the office and home. Kate Fenske is the executive director of the Downtown Biz and is our guest this morning. Morning, Kate. Good morning. I guess in many ways, um, we know what the picture is out there, but there had been a hope that we'd see this slow return to normal. What do the numbers show? What do they stand out for you? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, when we look back a year ago, I'm not sure we thought we would uh, still be in the same spot, uh, you know, April 2021. Um, I think we could have uh, had a better chance of predicting the snow that's coming down this morning than, than where we're at today. Um, it, there's some good news uh, in, in the survey results that, that we did with Probe, um, that there's a slight uptick in, in terms of how many people are coming back to the office in some capacity. But in terms of the workers that are back full-time, there really isn't much change since December. Um, we're up to about 20% of downtown workers are back full-time. And so that's really, you know, a significant decline in traffic for downtown businesses. Are people who don't work downtown coming downtown for other reasons? I'm sure there's a little bit here and there, whether it's, um, you know, appointments to see maybe a regular massage therapist or an athletic therapist or to get glasses or your dentist or those things that you kind of built into your regular workday. But if you look at, you know, the things that used to really bring people downtown other than work, it was a lot of events. So if we look at concerts and sporting events, theater, ballet, I mean, all of those have been put on hold for over a year. So we definitely have seen a big decline just in terms of general visitation, um, as well as tourism and hospitality, a big shift there. Um, so it's a challenge. Uh, we've known that for the last year that, that downtown businesses are suffering more than uh, counterparts in other areas of the city. And that's why it's so important right now that we look at, you know, what is the next one to three years really going to look like and how do we make sure that our downtown can be strong for the rest of the city? Kate, uh, you know, that's sort of where I wanted to go the future in terms of what do we do or what does the future look like for downtown Winnipeg? Just north of where we sit at 201 Portage on Main Street, there's a fairly prominent uh, 11, 12-story building that's being partially converted to apartments. We are now the second tallest building in Winnipeg as 300 Main uh, reaches uh, towards 42 stories of apartment rentals. There's another large uh, project on Smith Street, a former Manitoba housing project that's in full effect. Are we seeing more people wanting to move downtown? And might we see the conversion of more office space into apartments down the road. You know, I think that is something that's uh, uh, realistic uh, when we look at the future, not only an increase in population, which we were predicting uh, before the pandemic, you know, anticipating another 2,000 people to call downtown Winnipeg home in just the next two years. But we are seeing, you know, you mentioned the conversions. Um, you look at the um, uh, medical arts building on Kennedy there that was converted from offices to residential, and that was a project that started before the pandemic. You know, it really is important that we capitalize on that momentum. There's a billion dollars worth of capital projects underway right now still downtown um, and I don't think we're going to lose that um, you know no projects have been cancelled you mentioned you know 300 Main is now the tallest building in Winnipeg um, but there's also some challenges we all know the Bay Building downtown um, we do need to find a solution there we're still hoping the redevelopment of Portage Place moves forward so there's a lot of opportunity here and I think you're right that we will see um, a greater shift towards some creative solutions including uh, residential conversions that's one option I 
don't think we can expect people to come back to work five days a week um, in terms of all of those 70,000 workers. You know, that's one thing that we are going to be looking at. Um, we're, we're digging deeper into seeing what is the current state right now after the last 13 months downtown? Um, what are uh, employers and officers uh, offices, what are they looking at doing in the future? And how can we make sure that we have a vibrant downtown that really is that destination? So when our events, arts, culture all come back, that we're ready for it. But also when, you know, maybe some people don't want to do the commute anymore. So maybe it's downsizing. Maybe it's uh, moving into a larger apartment downtown. Um, but, but not everyone might want to do that commute either. And looking at spending time outside, uh, walking, biking, all those stuff is really great to do downtown. Yeah, I think you hit it there, Kate. That, you know, we've got another report out this morning just with the quarterly statistics for Canada that talk about the vacancy rates of the downtown versus the suburbs. And essentially suburbs are holding their own, but downtowns everywhere are feeling the pain that Winnipeg's is. And we know Winnipeg had this sort of renaissance coming into the pandemic. Coming out of it, it might look a whole lot different. So how do we start that conversation to get people to think about living downtown if they're not going to work downtown, which would have been how we might have sold it before? Yeah, and I don't, I'm not sure we'll see a massive shift of people not working downtown. Um, you know, like some of you, many of us love working downtown. Um, and we want to see different four walls, uh, <laughs> you know, in a given day. Um, and, and there's also, when you look at the benefits of working downtown in terms of mentoring young employees, um, working with your colleagues and brainstorming and sort of that, that creative thing that can happen when you're with other people. But also some of the benefits when you're out and about downtown on a lunch break. You know, you can run errands, you can... Uh, check out the downtown farmers market and things like that. But absolutely, we are going to have to think about things differently. And that's why there's a number of us that have come together, um, both uh, the downtown biz, exchange biz, West End biz, with the city of Winnipeg uh, and Centre Venture Development Corp, that we are looking at a downtown recovery strategy. That work has already started. And I think what's really going to be key there is you know, what are the tools and mechanisms that we can put in place now that can facilitate private sector investment, that can encourage residential growth, that can support existing businesses that are here, but also new businesses that may want to set up downtown. And of course, one of the things that I think is so critical is really safe and vibrant public spaces that we have. We've got some great little parks and great things to do downtown. How do we enhance those and create more? Kate Fenske, CEO, Downtown Winnipeg Biz, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kate, thank you very much for this. Thank you. Stay warm, everyone. Greg Mackling, why don't you do the intro for our next guest? Well, it was a good weekend for the Winnipeg Jets. Why don't we just get right down to business in the words of the immortal Peter Warren. Good morning, Bob Irving. Good morning, Greg and Brett. And is Loren there, too? <laughs> yeah it's like you're not even listening bob actually i was i, I but i forgot <laughs> wow that's almost worse yeah i know i listened on my walk i went for my walk in this horrible weather and there you guys were keeping me company as you are every morning when i go for my walk oh yeah well that's that nice? nice yeah that's I, very nice Pretty good weekend, Bob. We'll talk about the Masters in a moment. We know it's uh, one of your uh, unadulterated loves. But uh, 
pretty good weekend for the Jets as well. If you combine that five nothing win versus the Canadiens on Saturday, and that with that four two win Thursday, the Jets are now on a three game heater, as they call it, heading into tonight's matchup with Ottawa. Now Calgary clobbered Edmonton Saturday night, which allowed the Jets to slide back into second place. They're a point ahead of the Oilers, six points behind Toronto in the North Division. Leafs have made several trades, and all you have to do is turn on any of the TV stations to learn about that. Uh, Bob, they're telling us all about those trades ad nauseum. Does this force the Jets' hand in any way to make a move today? I don't think it forces their hand, Greg. I think uh, nothing has changed in that regard, and I know Kelly talked about it earlier. Uh, Kevin Shovelday off the Jets' GM will try to add somebody, uh, specifically a defenseman. Uh, it's probably going to be a depth player, to use that term, based on what's happened in the last 48 hours. But I don't know that it forces their hand. I think all along they've wanted to, to do that, and I think they still do. Whether they'll be able to or not, I don't know. Uh, now their outstanding play of late in particular perhaps changes things a little bit. Uh, but, no, I think uh, things are still what they were a week ago, two weeks ago. If they can add a defenseman, uh, they'll they'll do it. Uh, what price do you have to pay? That's always what comes into play here. And remember a couple of years ago, Shevel Dayoff went out and got uh, Stasny, and he got uh, Kevin Hayes a couple of years ago, a forward, as he tried to beef up for a, a playoff run. The Stasny trade worked out very well, as we all know. The Hayes, not so much. Uh, so, I, you know, I think he'll try to do something. The Jets have played uh, terrific defensively, though, in recent games. I was looking at Connor Hellebuck's stats. He's given up, in the last four games, he's given up six goals uh, and has a 9.57 save percentage in those four games. So he is really on top of his game. And, of course, he's the anchor of that team when you talk about defensive play. And as long as he's back there, uh, man, they've got a shot to do some big things when the playoffs roll around. Masters weekend, Bob. Did you tally the number of hours you spent watching this past week? No, but it was uh, pretty well nonstop, I would say. You know, you take the odd break here and there. And yesterday, of course, uh, when Hideki Matsuyama had that big lead, you wondered, would he be able to hang on? And, you know, people might suggest, well, he had a four and sometimes a five-shot lead. Do you lose interest? No, you don't lose interest because things can change rapidly. And did they ever, on the 15th hole, at par five, he went for the green and two and hit it over the green and into the water. Mm. And now you're thinking, oh, boy, here we go. The guy's going to have one of those spectacular collapses that we've seen at the Masters. But he did hold on and win, and the entire country of Japan is celebrating. Golfers in Japan are given sort of an exalted status. Now, Matsuyama has always been considered a talented player who hasn't quite living up uh, lived up sorry to expectations and he did yesterday winning his first major he's won five five times in his 10 years on the pga tour uh, but he's never won a major well he'll be some kind of a hero in japan now and he's he's kind of a shy guy and he doesn't like all the attention the reporters from japan have been following him around all his years on the pga tour he gets tremendous coverage from the Japanese media, and now it'll be over the top, and it'll be a little bit uncomfortable for him because he doesn't particularly like it, but he's going to have to deal with it. He's a, he's a big-time star over there now. 
Yeah, I'm reading all the headlines out of Japan this morning and how he's the royal treatment that he's going to receive uh, yeah. as he makes that return, Bob. Does it change anything in terms of just the game and how we look at all, players from all over the world now, no matter what country really you're from, have a chance? It's no longer, it, it really is this international game that is deserving rising credit for that. Yeah, more than ever, Loren. And, you know, I think it's tougher to win on the PGA Tour now than it's ever been simply because there are players from around the globe who are very talented, uh, more so than ever. You know, I think back to 20, 30 years ago, there were always some international players, but never as many as there are now. And yeah, it is a global and international game, and it's great for golf. It's, you know, it's great for, you know, the people who watch the game. It creates interest in other countries. Uh, And so, yeah, I think it's, uh, and there's so many great young players today. And Matsuyama has been on the tour 10 years. He's only 29 years old. Uh, And so, yeah, this is a, a real great time, I think, for golf. There's tremendous talent out there. I was in Seattle uh, several times the year that Ichiro Suzuki made his debut in Major League Baseball and the Japanese media that would just overwhelm Seattle on a regular basis was absolutely fascinating to watch. And it it went to a whole other level during the All-Star festivities in Seattle. I guess it was in 2001. So uh, the Japanese media love their stars that are doing things abroad. And so uh, much is going to have to, well, I guess he's probably already used to that, but it's probably going to go to a whole other level. Uh, speaking of international, Corey Connors had an ace, a hole-in-one on Saturday. I believe it was on the 16th hole, Bob, and made yeah. a real move. He was on the leaderboard and in the mix and didn't start out very well, but he finished eighth in the tournament, pocketed 345000 U.S. tied with Patrick Reed at eighth. That's not a dreadful outcome by any stretch. No, Connors has really established himself in the last uh, year, 18 months, as a as a top player on the PGA Tour. And finishing eighth in the Masters, if you're in top ten in the Masters, you automatically get invited back the following year. So, you know, he's done that with his eighth place finish. But he's really come on strong as a as a top notch uh, player, one of the uh, probably the top Canadian right now on the PGA Tour. Interesting thing about Matsuyama too. He's a very private person, and apparently a lot of people didn't even know he was married, and he and his wife had a a baby a few months ago, and they asked him about that, and he said, well, nobody ever asked me about it. Uh, You know, they they said to him, how come nobody knew you were married? And he said, well, nobody ever asked me about it, but that's just the the way he is. He's a a real private guy, Uh, but he's got lots to celebrate today, more than probably he, he might even want. Bob Irving joins us every Monday just after 8.30 for our weekly sports chat. Bob, thank you so much for the time. As always, sir, much appreciated. Okay, you bet. With vaccinations underway, some people are starting to contemplate what life will look like after they get the two doses in their arms. And we know, you know, just as our disclaimer, there's a long way to go, Brett, of course. We, we're just shy of 20% of the population having received just that first dose. 19.6% fully or partially vaccinated in this province. So yes, there's lots of work to be done on the vaccination front. But as we look past that, we started the talk last week about concerts. Would you go to concerts? Would you go to a sporting event? What will life look like if you are fully vaccinated? Travel. And what about work? 
Today we're talking about work and the jobs that have shifted staff to working from home. And we know many of you don't have that option, but for those of you that do, what started out as a temporary initiative is starting to feel a whole lot more permanent, at least in my case, Greg, as I look, uh, enter my, I think, 13th month, 14th month working from home. Yeah, I can remember seeing you through basically a glass window, handing you some equipment about 12 months ago and going, well, this will just be a few weeks long. Of course, as you mentioned, this has turned into what feels like more of a a permanent change for many. Janet Candido is an HR expert and founder and principal of Candido Consulting Group. She joins us live on the start. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. So for so many people, I think we've had this conversation for at least a decade, if not more, in particular with regard to the way our personal communication devices, our phones and our laptop computers have tethered us to the office. And so many of us, I think, have said in the past, oh, if only I could work from home, I would have such a better work-life balance. What are people really saying about work-life balance as it relates to working from home during this pandemic? Well, what they're saying is that the reality isn't what they were expecting. So I'm hearing a lot of, I, I am working all the time. I don't have any break between work and home life. Um, I miss my colleagues. I miss social interaction. And an increasing number of them are saying, please let me come back to the office, at least part-time. Now, I see that a study from Robert Half found that one in three employees would consider quitting if required to return to the office full-time. Yeah, uh, some of them uh, enjoy working from home. They like the the flexibility, um, you know, a number of them have moved out of the city into uh, smaller communities where they got bigger homes and bigger lots and they don't want to have to move back. So uh, I think what this is telling us is that it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, I mean, when you highlight the fact in your first answer there, Janet, you said you have some people that are almost screaming, let me come back to work at least part time. And then you have another study showing that one third would rather be at home. And if they can't stay home, they'll look for another job. So what's an employer supposed to do with that? Because that is mixed messaging for them. Yeah, I think employers need to look at how to create a hybrid model where they allow Uh, employees to come into the office at least part of the time and they allow for those employees who would prefer to work from home um, at least most of the time. I suspect that even those employees who say they'd quit if they had to return to the office might be willing to come in occasionally for a specific reason but they need to employers need to accommodate these you know we used to think that you couldn't work as effectively from home and now they've proven that with the technology they can they can work from home so how do we configure the the office now to allow for for more flexibility Uh, For as much, Janet, as we would all like to make more money and that we think that money is the be-all, end-all when it comes to contract or negotiations to begin a new job, that's simply not the case. It's it's not money that that keeps people where they're working. There are a variety of issues and, and money typically is, you know, five, six or seven on the list working conditions and uh, your ability to communicate with your superiors, all sorts of things are 
are ranked ahead of money in terms of job satisfaction, is the option to work from home going to become one of these top five issues for people when they're negotiating maybe to, to change jobs? I believe so, yes. I believe so. It will be. Uh, for a number of reasons, but they want the flexibility. They have proven that it is possible. Um, they don't want the commute. They don't necessarily want the long workday. And the other thing about working from home is, is where possible, they're breaking up their workday, working in the morning, working at night, working when it's more convenient. So, yes, I think it will be one of the top five motivators for whether they're going to accept a job or stay in a job. And how's it gone for for companies or how maybe the question is have any companies struggled with the the work uh, from home infrastructure like when we when chorus mobilized and sent the bulk of our workforce home I was stunned at what they were able to accomplish I never thought it would be possible never mind in the speed at which they accomplished it but are there work uh, communications companies so it's kind of in our wheelhouse but other companies maybe wouldn't be so well set up for that so do you know of any companies who have had a real struggle with this with having their people work from home I do. Uh, Companies that have uh, a call center or a contact center have struggled because they've had to send employees home with specific technology that allows them to do their work from home, Uh, security protocols, any organization that has a high level of private data. Um, has struggled with how to ensure that they're able to keep that data private and still allow their employees to work from home. So it wasn't as easy for every organization to do that, especially when they had very little warning and had to pivot very quickly to remote working. I was just going to say, not to mention the cost, Janet, that to, to make those, yeah. not just send people home with equipment, but in the cases where you had to add those layers of security and protection and technology, uh, how, how can companies afford to keep doing that if they also have huge spaces where people might want to still come into work too, in terms of leases and downtown office buildings and all the rest? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think they have quite figured out the answer to that. It's also true that for some organizations that have special technology, when they've sent their employees home with that technology, they can't sort of bounce back and forth. They can't be at home and then be in the office and come back and forth with that technology. So it's it's not an easy solution. And for sure, it's not a cheap solution either, either. Who comes out ahead here, do you think, Janet? Who's winning this battle once we get through this pandemic? Has this revelation been more beneficial ultimately to employers or employees? I think it's been more beneficial to employees because it's been up to employers to figure out how to get their work done with all of these issues that they've had to deal with. And now it's up to employers to figure out how are they going to address the the post-vaccination return to the office? Employees are really, in many ways, in the driver's seat because they're just, I'm either at home or I'm at work or I'm at some schedule. But an employer with a big office space that's configured into offices or an employer that's a contact center uh, or any employer with a lot of technology, they're the ones that have to figure out now how to move forward with that. 
Jana Candido joining us live on 680 CJOB, HR expert and founder and principal of Candido Consulting Group. Janet, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we basically have time to read our winning text message at 204-780-6868. And it comes from Kellyanne on the subway. Grand Beach Club is back. So we were asking you, which clothing trends would you like to see come back? And Kellyanne, we started talking about this this morning at 6.48 a.m. At 6.49 a.m., she sent us a text opening simply with the words, Still do! And an attached photo of a black and white Grand Beach Club shirt. Like, she, I wondered if she was related to one of us and knew we were going to talk about it. To the, that's the speed to which she responded with her, <laughs> with her, with her shirt red. She adds, got it in the 80s, LOL, had it forever. <laughs> At the time, it was the most expensive piece of clothing I had. Of course, yes. I might have to wear it today, LOL. Kellyanne, <laughs> you can wear that shirt. Just don't wear it when you use your Santa Lucia pizza $20 gift card because you don't want to get that sauce on the pizza because it's all about the sauce. You might lose some on the shirt. Don't do that. Loren, just just curious, uh, you you logged on to the camping reservation site at seven o'clock. Are you still on there, or did you give no, up? No, I'm not. I'm not. It's foolhardy. <laughs> no. I, I, it eventually took about twenty minutes for it to go from this ticket spinning wheel of anxiety to telling me I was forty three thousandth in line. So then I was like, "See you later." I mean, Could I don't you like even see the ranger much. from there? No, you can't see him. I didn't have binoculars. I needed like one of those telescopes. He was on the moon. I'm on planet Earth. This thing is a pie-in-the-sky scheme. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I know we've talked about camping a lot over the last week, but can we not I just can we not fix this? I know it's one week of the year for everyone, but it just sort of feels like we're just saying, eh, it's but only it's one not, week that it bugs our, people, so summer. no big deal. Yeah, it's Sorry, kind of I'm a joke. talking over you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm angry because it's not just one week. It's, it's summer for a lot of people and it's their plans and people want to be organized and they want to know where they're going. This, this needs to be fixed. I mean, it's not the most critical thing on our agenda right now, but seriously, for people that want to camp on a regular basis in the summertime, this needs to be, this needs to be rectified. Well said, much, well said. It makes you feel like you're playing Pong. That when you get into that site, that's how old it feels. It's churning away. A warning today from a young Manitoban who says, quote, These variants are serious. If you believe being young and healthy got you covered, it doesn't. And he knows this because he had one. Yes, the 22-year-old describes himself as young and healthy, physically active, with a good diet. But last month, he got extremely sick with the COVID-19 B117 variant, also known as the UK strain, Loren. Peter Solomon joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you guys? We're well, and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us about this because it might be the message many Manitobans need to hear. Talk to us about the process of, of discovering that you had this variant and, and how sick you got after you made that discovery. So, uh... I completely agree with you. I think people really need to pay attention to this because it's very serious. So originally my dad got a phone call that he was a close contact and that's how kind of the ball got rolling a bit. So uh, he tested positive and then a couple of days later, my mom positive, I'm positive. My sister, who's a nurse, she has the vaccine. She has been negative all the way th- till two days ago. So thank God for that. She really took care of us. 
so that's kind of how it started. And then the first week we were experiencing flu symptoms. They were intense. And then, you know, it's, at this point you're thinking it's going to get better. And just it kept getting worse. Oxygen level dropped. Breathing became hard. And uh, before we know it, we ended up in the hospital, all three of us. And uh, me, I was, I was doing very bad. So we're all doing kind of separately. And uh, I was very close to being in the ICU. So it's, it's very serious. I, I really hope that people kind of get the message that it's not time to loosen up. Just follow the restrictions and try to keep your circle small, you know. Well, it's good to hear your voice, Peter, and to, to hear you not in hospital. I think this highlights the value that contract tracing provides with regard to giving you a heads up on this. So this was a close contact, not of yours, but of your father's. So maybe give us a, a, another under or a better understanding of how this affected. You said your sister's a nurse, has had the vaccine. What about other members of your family? How ill have they been with this? So uh, both, my, so all three of us, we developed pneumonia. My uh, my dad, we kind of went to the we the way we went to the hospital was a little different. So I went to the hospital. My oxygen level was very low, which thank God for my sister that she is a nurse. She has knowledge. Like was able to see that and straight to the hospital, went to the ER. My dad, on the other hand, was a little different with how he went. He actually saw breathing. So. My mom was having shortness of breath, of breath so it kind of affected us very differently. We were all kind of experiencing different things, but they were all very serious. So uh, the pneumonia really uh, kind of played a big part in being just worse and worse as things progressed. Well, and you, you, in your post, your Instagram post, and that's how this uh, flew onto our radar because you spoke to our colleagues at Global News Morning as well, and you talked about the pneumonia and how your oxygen saturation dropped to 70%. And you say, if you don't know what that number means, ask someone who does. Seriously, what did that oxygen saturation do to you physically? Uh, my body every day, like it, it felt like it was running a marathon. To t- like to be honest with you and I was bed bound like I was doing nothing I was just in bed so it was it was just just kind of very hard you're kind of you end up not feeling very human you're just in bed even just turning to the side of the bed to be able to do normal things like trying to pee is a hassle and a half so it's it was it, it's it takes a big toll on you physically so I I hope that people out there you know young people that think that just being on a diet and healthy and no conditions is kind of the free get out of jail free card here it's not like i think these variants are very serious obviously i can only speak about the uk one that i had but i wish i wish it upon nobody to to get it it's, it's, it was pretty uh, pretty horrible time you made the point in your post, Peter, about being young and healthy, and also just again now saying if you think you're known because you're healthy and you eat well and all the rest, it, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. How often have you heard, since sharing this story, someone say, oh, yes, but you must have an underlying condition or something else might have been going on? Have you had that kind of feedback? So actually, uh, from the uh, e- EMT guys, I remember when before they came, like because we called them a couple times, said that it wasn't just once. There's one time where they were just kind of making it feel as if it was not as serious, you know, like it's fine, he'll be okay. 
So I believe that there is a lot of misconceptions out there that young guys are, young people, sorry, are completely out of the woods. And I feel like that misconception really needs to change. Like it's, no one is safe at this point. The variants are becoming more and more dangerous. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, we, we need to tighten up right now, not loosen up on all of our, all of our restrictions and our rules. And I think we really need to uh, stick together and care about one another because I thankfully thank God. And I thank my sister, you know, I'm able to start recovering, but other people won't recover. So Peter Solomon's our guest. He's 22 years old. He has recovered. Well, we'll find out to what extent he's recovered from COVID-19, the B117 variant, the UK strain. Peter, where are you at now? How are things going? And if I may ask you, after you've been through this, how does your attitude compare now versus maybe what you thought about the coronavirus, COVID-19 over the last year? Were you, were you somebody that was concerned overall in the first place about this, or has this really opened your eyes dramatically? It's, it's, it's definitely changed my perspective a lot. I In the beginning, I always knew that the virus was serious, but I was more concerned about my parents' health rather than mine, which, again, like, it made me feel like, you know what, like, dad, mom, I hope you guys don't get it because you guys have underlying conditions. It's going to be serious. For me, I'm not concerned. I'm healthy. I'm good, but I'll keep the restrictions and just hope that I don't spread it to you guys. So this was very, like, it was an eye-opener. It's uh, that, you know, like, doesn't matter that you don't have conditions, you don't have anything. It will affect you, and everyone is different, and you don't know who's going to be able to make it out. And at the end of the day, like, every, every life is important. Uh, you shouldn't think of anyone's lives as more important or less important. So I, I think we need to be very considerate and really try to tighten up and just close our circle, circles a little bit, follow the guidelines, just don't don't loosen up now because it's it's very serious. This third wave, it's full of variants. We we just don't know. Peter, before we let you go, one last question: Are you seeing behavior from your peers, uh, from people in your age group, uh, that's going against the public health order? Uh, I I personally like I, I I've seen a little bit of posts. That's kind of what the reason of my post was to raise awareness because I've started to realize a little bit of people in my age group on social media they're starting to loosen up a bit it's kind of going back to normal and being able to just kind of enjoy them like enjoy life to the full extent that's kind of why it made me want to post it more and more to raise awareness because you just go through something like this it's very hard you wish it upon nobody and you just hope that people just kind of listen and adjust their behavior and that's what I'm hoping that this does, just raise awareness is all it is. And hopefully people will stay safe. Peter Solomon, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for reaching out. Take care. You guys be safe. Peter Solomon is a 22-year-old Manitoban who is recovering from the COVID-19 B117 variant. If you want to read his full post and what he describes, he, he was one of the first young people in Manitoba to get it, and he was told by doctors, we know nothing about this variant. So imagine how scary that would have been. So he goes into great detail in the post. We have linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram story. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram, by the way, almost at 8,000 followers. And uh, I know that... 
and I'm not pointing fingers at any specific demographic. I saw people on social media, people in their 20s, people in their 30s, people in their 40s doing things over the weekend they probably shouldn't have been doing, gathering with people they shouldn't be gathering with. And uh, I'm not trying to sound judgy. I just, it, it, I'm getting, from what I'm seeing, it looks like people are starting to either they've had it or they're just, they're, they're a little too relaxed. And uh, as we are hearing, it's, uh, we might, Manitoba is potentially in position to lose the race, so to speak, with these variants. Brent Rusin, by the way, with the latest COVID-19 update at 1230. 9.48 on 680 CJOB, Mackling and McGarry McNabb. Oh, just very quickly here, Loren. We had two text messages highlighted on uh, fashion that you might want to see come back or maybe not come back at all. That we didn't have time to get to last half hour. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention them because one I had heard of and the other I don't have a clue um, what they were talking about. So one came from Bert who talked about the dicky, and I'm sorry, my my whole thing's just crashed here, Brett. So uh, you can read that one. The other one I wasn't aware about was Acid Splash clothing like i knew acid wash but the listener texted in to say they miss acid splash clothing because it had the holes in their clothing (laughs) and it provided a little bit of air conditioning (laughs) and then i've got i've tried to find what they're talking about and all i keep finding is pictures of hazmat suits which i'm sure is not what they mean (laughs) and the other one says way back when i was 15 16 years old i owned a fake turtleneck called a dicky Looking back, I must have looked like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation. Thank God. <laughs> there was no film in our Polaroid swinger camera. No more! 949. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Polaroid swinger camera? We got to do some uh, investigating on that name. What's that all about? Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.